Hey, Life Church, thank you so much for joining in with us and continuing our conversation on reset. We're grateful again for the opportunity to be able to gather in this way. Uh, keep praying for us, the elder team and uh, staff team, as we are uh, really working to create and craft uh, what the course of action will be for the remainder of 2020. We uh, thank you so much for all of your prayers and your support in that. I just want to remind you in the next week or two, we're going to be stepping into a, a new series uh, that'll carry us through the end of this calendar year. Uh, it's called Imagination and Practice because God has a different perspective and better ways. We are really looking forward to entering into that together. Uh, so uh, just be looking forward to that in the next couple of weeks. You know, uh, this particular series we are finishing up today, Reset, uh, was percolated in the cauldron of a stress-inducing pandemic. Uh, in the fur of finger-pointing politics and in the shadow of really difficult and, and painful conversations surrounding systemic racism and, and economic inequality that has no escape, abuse of power. Uh, but more than anything else, this conversation has been about what God always has for us, change change for each and every one of us, for yes, the society as a whole, but that God would have something new out of the old, that God would indeed lead us to change because do you agree that the same just won't do? The same is not what we want ever. God wants healing for us for the simple fact that we all Need it. And it's not just I who need it or you who needs it. You want me to be healed. You want the best version of me. You want the God induced and created version of Christoph, not what I can create in and of myself. The reality is that it's about redemption, reset, a divine approach to our earthy affairs. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He speaks those words over Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. But let's read our passage one more time today. <clears throat> Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Skip down to verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the moment that we have to share together. And we just simply invite Your Holy Spirit just mold us, shape us. As we give you these moments, mold us and shape us and make us more into your image. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said amen and amen. 
Um, you know, I grew up in a household equipped with two overeducated uh, people in the ways and means of the English language. This made for interesting, let me say, dinner conversations. I tried to stay quiet. I tried to not speak honestly as much as I could. Um, at the very least, I would use simple sentence structure with small words like, I liked school today. This pot roast is delicious. <laughs> Maybe my parents thought I had a bit of a problem. I was just trying to avoid an argument or a lesson at the dinner table. I tried to use safe words. I learned consistently and constantly that words had power, uh, that they should not be flippantly thrown about. Language is expression, it's emotion, it's thought and being in visceral essence writ large. I've carried on that concept with our kids, Tanya and I both have. Uh, words they use, not just what they say, but how they say it really matters. What words they use to communicate with their friends and, and adults, how they make eye contact, how they really connect with other people, how they text, the texting language, the emojis, all of those things. And, and let me just say, my, my kids love it. They love every time I grammatically correct one of their text messages or, or ask them to use a period or an exclamation point and try and infuse emotion into a text. But the fact of the matter is, words have influence. And we've been looking at, last week, Vocabulary Box Part 1, uh, words. Uh, today we're going to do Vocabulary Box Part 2 and finish up verse 30. Looking at seven sets of words and phrases that have divine power and influence. That when we receive them and when we apply them, help us burst forth from our earthy limitations. But we have to know what these words mean. And then we have to allow them to mean what they say about us as God intended, not how we interpret. This is shown in no greater place than in the person of Jesus Christ. He is, of course, the Word made flesh. So, to close out this series, what I want to do is work through these last four words, which I'll read in a moment. Uh, these last four words from really a box-breaking vocabulary box and look at then one instance in the Gospel of John to see how Jesus uses such to seek out and save us, to save humanity. Verse 30, Paul writes, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. As an aside and as a sort of a prelude, investment of these words as ways and means does not always feel good. It doesn't always make us happy or enjoy things. They don't show themselves in things like wins, but they do show themselves emphatically in seasons where we are in a wilderness. Uh, 2020, anyone, the wilderness that we have been in. My point, not many of us sign up for pain, agony, frustration. We don't hop out of bed looking, hopefully, for those things. But sometimes those things are unavoidable. And so we would do well to just accept the season we're in, settle our roots down deep so we can allow God to grow us, to change us, to heal us in spite of the adverse surroundings. 
You know, there's this moment in the Gospel of Matthew that many of us are familiar with, in Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus asks his disciples, he says, hey, who do men say that I am? And some say this and some say that. And he says, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What I really mean to say, disciples, is who do you say that I am? Because ultimately, God, as an aside to my aside, God cares not what they say or what the society says. God cares about what you say about who he is. But he drills down that question, and Peter, of course, gives the right answer. Peter's always giving answers, and the more answers you give, come on, somebody, the better chance you have of giving the right answer. And Peter says, you are the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And, he, and they have this wonderful moment where Jesus blesses him and anoints him and really speaks to that statement and that truth. And, and it's a good moment. And just a few seconds later, though, Jesus is talking about how he has to suffer, how he has to enter into a wilderness experience and how he will eventually die. And Peter says this. Maybe he's excited because he was right just a few moments ago. But Peter says this, Far be it from me, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. Now, it's one thing for a friend or a person to call you Satan or a devil. That doesn't feel good. But it's another thing altogether when God does it. Because God knows, hello, what Satan looks like. And so he says, get behind me, Satan, for you are a hindrance to me. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Rather than trying to save ourselves from pain and from wilderness experiences, rather than trying to save God from suffering and from issues, whether they are in our lives or the lives of others, we are to let him. We are to let him, as he says, to seek and to save that which is lost. That word save is the original language, sozo, that we would be saved, healed, and delivered. We are to let God save us. We are to let God deliver us. We are to let God heal us at the most basic level. Uh, there's a book I'm reading by Eugene Peterson, The Jesus Way, a conversation on the ways that Jesus is the way. And he writes this. There's far more to this life than we can comprehend. Huge stretches of the unknown, both before and above and within us. How do we deal with all this, this God-created, God-permeated reality? Do we reduce the world to land and people that we can take charge of and then employ our minds and imaginations to figure out how we can get God to help us do it? Or do we live by faith? We need testing. God tests us. The test results will show whether we are choosing the way of awe and worship and obedience, which is to say God, or whether without being aware of it, we are reducing God to our understanding of him so that we can use him. The test results will show. The test will tell us. And we will be glad enough to have the test results so that we can get on with the resurrection-shaped life that God has for us. This does not always happen without some pain, for we can get very attached to our little projects of self-deification, but it doesn't take us long to be glad to have gotten rid of them. The way of faith does not serve our fantasies, our illusions, or our ambitions. Faith is not the way to God on our terms. It is the way of God to us on his terms. So, the last four words in our vocabulary box, this box-breaking vocabulary box. The first, verse 30, 
is predestined. Now, we talked briefly about foreknowing and predestination as they were last week, but that word again is proorizo, which means to limit in advance. Uh, the, again, predestination and foreknowing of scriptures, uh, they don't speak to what we're faithfully attached to regardless of what's going on, but rather to what you are entitled to through faith. What you are entitled to through a life of, of faith. And again, faith not being something that you earn, but recognizing that you can be persuaded by God's presence. You can be led by God's spirit. Jeremiah 29, 11, a familiar scripture that many of us know. For I know the thoughts that I have for you, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you a hope and a future. We know that scripture. We talk about it in terms of the plans of God and how he wants us to have them. But then we always, or rather don't always, see them come to fruition. I would submit to you it's because it's like we go to an architect and we say, please draw us up a beautiful home, draw us up a, a something for us to have and enjoy. And we take those plans and we love the plans and they look good and it's exactly what we just feel right about them. And we nail it to our wall and the plans are all there, but then we try and go build something ourselves without ever ever looking to the plan, without ever realizing what does the plan say according to how it lines up with what I am actually doing. And so the plans and the limitations in advance that God has for us are not just something to be hung on a wall and left, but they are to be referenced, looked back upon, transposed against what we're actually doing and living. Storms, wildernesses and adverse circumstances. And again, I don't just mean a worldwide pandemic. I also mean parenting, parenting, speaking life into your children, working through friendships and job dynamics, maybe your marriage and, and working on yourself for such and, and, and working on something with someone intimately together. These things don't define us as much as they show us what we're dependent upon. When you're trying to parent your child, when you're working through marital conflicts and circumstances, remember, suffering, things that come up that are painful, according to Paul, should be what reveals glory in us. That's God's hope and plan. Psalm 20 and verse 7 says that for some trust in chariots and horses, but we remember, we trust in the name of the Lord. To whom do you turn? Who do you call? What are you referencing when your life gets a little bit chaotic and it doesn't seem like it's going the way that it should go? To whom or what are you giving yourself and looking for, for your limitations in advance, for that predestination, for the proorizo of God, your future, your inheritance? That is predestination. The next word is called. And called is the original uh, kaleo, which means to simply be invited. The next is justified. Justified means to be rendered, declared, evinced, which is a new word for me. Convinced would be somebody saying something from outside and changing your opinion. Events is something that has been revealed to you from the inside, that you would be evinced that you are just, that you are righteous, that you are as you should be. The connotation, of course, is that somebody is being aligned to original design. 
I think a lot of us struggle with that because we have a deep-seated fear. We're ultimately all really, really jacked up because we know ourselves more than anybody else. And, and, and the church hasn't always done a great job of changing that frame of reference, of, of speaking to the good and the whole and the beautiful, that which God placed in us. When God made humanity, said it was good. And when he brought humanity together, he said it was very good. I know the Bible says in Jeremiah that the heart is desperately wicked. Uh, but the fact of the matter is the wickedness comes after or rather uh, just yeah, outside of what God has placed, which is something that's good and very good. And yes, we've got to drill through our insecurities and our uh, unhealth and everything else. But that's why God wants to heal us and change us and grow us. And finally, the last word is glorified. This is the verb version of the same word that, we, that Paul speaks to in verse 18, the glory that is to be revealed to us. Interesting that all of these words, foreknew even, predestined, called, justified, glorified, these are all in the past tense. I would submit to you, church, that they're in the past tense, not because they are in a former season of our lives, but rather because God has already accomplished them. He's already taken them and brought them to fruition. We just need to step into them. We need to choose to align ourselves to what God has already fully accomplished. And this word glorified means excellent, clothed in splendor, being of dignity, having value and worth of the highest order. So within these four words, I want to, again, look at John chapter 4, verses 1 through 44. We're not going to work through the whole passage, but I would encourage you to read it this week and see how Jesus works through these things, how he practically applies predestined, called, justified, and glorified in a real human life, just like yours and just like mine. Predestined. Again, speaking to the prorizo of God, John chapter 4, it's this moment where Jesus again is traveling and teaching and he's doing all of these wonderful things. And there's this verse 4 of chapter 4. It says, he had to pass through Samaria. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Let me just tell you, first of all, Jesus doesn't have to do anything because he's fully God. And even geographically speaking, where he is and where he needs to go, he doesn't really have to go through Samaria. But there's something on the heart of God that says, I need to get to that place. God has a must get to on his list of things to do today, and it's you. It's you and it's me. It's your life it's your health, it's the reset he has for you, it's your success, it's you being you as God intended. Called. The wonderful thing is that Jesus, they make that point, he's got to go through Samaria, and so he travels there with his disciples, and he gets there, and he's thirsty, and he's tired, and the disciples decide, hey, we're going to go get the things that you need. And it creates this moment where Jesus is sitting at a well and he's waiting. He's sitting there waiting, but he's not just waiting for the disciples to come back to him. This is why he needed to go through Samaria. This is why he needed to be there. He's waiting for this woman. 
And this woman comes out in the middle of the day by herself, which speaks to the type of relationships or lack that she has in the community. And she's coming out by herself in the heat of the day, and Jesus is there waiting for her. This is how the calling of God, let me tell you, this is how the calling of God looks. Jesus is waiting. We want so much for Jesus to burst into our lives, to force down the door, but that's not how he acts. That's not how he offers himself to us. That's not how he invites. The calling of God looks like Jesus present and waiting for you. And he asks her for a drink. He starts the conversation. He engages her. This is what calling looks like. Too often we think calling looks like a cloud coming down from heaven and telling us what we're going to do, but it looks more like Jesus sitting and waiting for you, waiting for you to respond to his asking something of you, waiting for you and me to be available to what he wants to engage. That's the call of God. Justified. Now this one, this one's a bit tricky because we all want to be proven to be okay to be healthy, to be righteous. The justified of God can be a little bit more cantankerous than it is celebratory in its actual outworking. Because listen, church, life is hard and life is very real. And when you talk about healing, when you talk about accepting God's work to heal us, I'm going to be honest with you today, it hurts at some level, always. And so from verses 16 through 26, we see Jesus speaking justification. There's this awkward, almost kind of out of nowhere statement. Jesus says, hey, go call your husband. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right, saying I have no husband, for you have five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. Church, he's calling her out. He's telling her where she has perhaps gone a little bit off course and where some things need to be corrected. And then he goes on to tell her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father you worship. And he goes on to describe and declare and says to her eventually, I who speak to you am he. I'm the one who can heal you. I am the Messiah. It's one of the few places in all of scripture that Jesus reveals his true identity. It's incredible that Jesus works through. This is the justification that he has, but it does take some painful, honest authenticity. And now the final word, glorified. Glorified, glory. Again, this is Paul hearkening back to verse 18, suffering, revealing glory, and Jesus arriving at that and bringing us to it. I guarantee you, I absolutely promise you, glorified as God has it for you is not what you're looking for. I, I know that, or at least I would guess that, because it's really what I am looking for. My default, my default for glorified, for me, it serves me. 
encouragement. It serves me. And I don't know why I do that. Maybe it's because I get caught up in the Hollywood version of, of glory. Maybe I get caught up in the fact that I am selfish or it's just my insecurities gnawing at me and trying to quiet them by saying that I want something shimmery and shiny and beautiful and to be good. Something that makes me shine and, and gives me accolades and, and again, makes me, makes me feel good. And let me be clear, the wake of God's glory moving in your life or moving in my life affects us in beautiful ways. It, it blesses us. But glory revealed to you or in you, the glorified is felt, seen, observed, and experienced by others. And so this woman, after her interaction with Jesus, after she realizes there's a limitation in advance, there's an inheritance for her, when she receives the calling, that invitation, as Jesus is waiting and they have the little bit of a painful conversation that brings us, or brings her rather, to a place of justification. Verses 27 and 44 detail the woman going back to the community and telling her what she saw telling the community about Jesus and the whole community comes out to meet Jesus and the whole community is changed. This church is glory in its most practical way. So as an opportunity today, as we close out our Reset series, I want to ask you to consider these four divine influences for your earthy affairs, for your earthy existence Consider the calling that God is for you, that God is moving towards you, no matter where you are, no matter where you've been. And listen to me, no matter where you end up and what mistakes you make tomorrow, God is for you. In the essence of Jesus sitting, waiting for you to turn and have that conversation that he is trying to start with you. Consider God has a standing invitation for you. Open door policy. Consider that God knows the beautiful that's in you. Consider that God knows the powerful influence that you have. And he is wanting to evince you. See what I did there? New word. God is wanting to evince you of the same. Consider God will show that beauty and that powerful influence in you and through you to the world around you because ultimately that which God wants to reset in you is not at all about you. It's not at all about Christoph. It's, it's also about him and it's about us relating to and connecting with others. Let me leave you all with a benediction today. May we live in a rhythm of reset. May we continuously and constantly engage the spirit of our given Christ. May we accept our earthiness hand in hand with his divinity and therefore show forth his glory, bringing out the God flavors, the God colors, and the God, God context in this life. And may we remember that with Jesus, it only gets better. We love you so much. Thank you so much for praying for us. And we'll talk to you soon.